each of us are connected to food systems. So you and I have a vested interest in understanding its workings, challenges, and potential solutions. In my role at Google, one of my responsibilities is to ask, what are the impacts of our food choices? Not just on our individual health and well-being, but also on the food systems we are a part of, our producers, our suppliers, society, and the planet. I believe we all have a responsibility to ask big questions like this one. The answers can open a world of possibility. I invite you to join me in meeting the leaders who have dared to step up to answer these bigger questions to create a better food future for us all. This is Food Lab Talk. Thanks for joining me for another Food Lab Talk. I am Michael Bakker. When you go to the grocery store and buy a bag of baby carrots, do you ever wonder what happened to the rest of the carrots? The bright green tops? The classic carrot shape? The most likely answer is, those food scraps became food waste in the landfill. The team at Matriarch Foods is trying to change that. The whole consumer packaged goods industry is very slow and I'm very impatient. Now, again, I was quite naive when I went into that, <laughs> thinking that, okay, well, food service is big. Items are bought in pallets, not in units. And it just seemed like if our main goal was to divert wasted food from landfill, feed large numbers of people healthy food, and create more revenue streams for farmers, we should go for the big sales and the big impact. Anna Hammond is the founder and CEO of Matriarch Foods, whose mission is to divert surplus food headed to the landfill and create healthy products for food service, retail, and emergency food supplies. What many home cooks have done at home for centuries, Matriarch is now doing at scale. The company upcycles farm surplus and fresh cut remnants into flavor-packed pantry staples like slow-cooked pasta sauces and low-sodium broth concentrates. On today's episode, you'll hear more about how Anna and the team at Matriarch developed a new supply chain to support upcycling, why she decided to start a packaged food company after an already impressive career in public service, and her advice for growing a team at a purpose-driven organization. Here's my interview with Matriarch's Anna Hammond. Yeah, so I founded Matriarch in 2018, and Matriarch Foods is an environmental impact food company. We upcycle farm surplus and fresh cut remnants into products for food service and now also retail, as well as food banks and emergency food. And we've created a supply chain working with manufacturing facilities and small to mid-scale farmers to mitigate the dire effects that food waste has on the environment. The 19 million tons of vegetable remnants that are thrown out, off-spec produce in manufacturing, 
and the 83 million tons of on-farm surplus that never makes it to the plate. And we do that not only because of the environmental impact, but also to create extra revenue streams for farmers who need to get paid for their labor to utilize all of their work in addition to the environmental impact of growing food and also to create greater access to healthy food for all people. So you're trying to solve multiple purposes. Bring me back to what made you decide at the time to create matriarch foods. Yeah, so, you know, I get asked this question a lot, and I often go straight to the previous job that really was the the catalyst for starting this business. But I also grew up with, you know, two grandmothers, one of whom grew up on a farm, the other was a political refugee, and really had to come to this country and start with nothing. So I really grew up with a sensibility around not wasting anything and you know, using everything to its highest purpose because it was disrespectful not to do so. Most recently, I had a job. I was the founding executive director for a program in New York City that under my direction and and with many, many partners and, and wonderful staff, a healthy eating program for youth and families living in public housing in New York City. And for those listeners who don't know uh, the size of public housing in New York, it is technically the 10th largest city in the United States by number of people who live there. And, you know, a lot of people who have very little financially, also suffering from diet related illness and little access to healthy food and really an incredibly strong desire to be healthier and to eat healthier food. And part of that program, uh, we had a farm in upstate New York, and we started bringing our surplus produce down into the city for our classes, and then eventually started trying to get more and more produce from from farms in Columbia County. There are hundreds of small and mid-scale farms in Columbia County, which is really the, the vegetable basket of New York City. And the insane logistics of that, you know, no cold storage, no trucking, people able to bring, you know, a carton here or there, sometimes half a truckload, obviously led to enormous amounts of waste. And it just straightforward just made me crazy to see that much food waste and knowing intimately all these teenagers we were working with, you know, as well as families and little kids, but primarily teenagers, who really wanted healthier food. So seeing that going to waste and this incredible need really was, it was, it was like the, the final inspiration, I suppose. You know, it was a wrong that needed to be righted. So I hear an incredible amount of passion, an incredible amount of risk-taking capabilities. You were and are focused on two very important topics, reducing food loss and waste, and providing more food to those who are in need. The challenge is large, the surplus is gigantic. So it must have been easy peasy for you. You show up on day one and things were just amazing. My understanding is it is actually surprisingly hard in this world to make a difference. Can you talk a little bit about some of your initial learnings and how surprisingly hard it is to do the right thing, despite all the things that you've talked about? 
Yeah, I think I had no idea how hard it was going to be when I started, to be honest. You know, I'm not sure anyone who starts something, and it's a good thing you don't, because if you knew how hard it was, you might not ever get started. I think that I've discovered through this process, I mean, I knew at the very beginning that making any kind of product was going to be hard because just trying to find one place to manufacture our first product that wasn't a community kitchen took over a year. And, you know, there was a place in the Hudson Valley that was a small co-packing facility. They did a lot of, you know, farm products for various farms and for a couple of businesses in New York City. And we had developed the product. We were ready to go. We had a production date. We had ordered everything. And the day before we were supposed to go, they called me up and said, sorry, we've got too many other businesses that are paying, you know, to do full production. We can't do a test run until February. (laughs) And, you know, we were like ready to go and suddenly we had literally nothing. And so I got on the phone and I called like everyone I knew in every state on the East Coast, you know, do you know any co-packing facilities? No, they're booked, you know, 18 months ahead of time, et cetera. And then I happened to call someone in Portland, Maine, and she said, well, I don't have a co-packing facility, but I'm doing a USDA project and we're looking for someone to work on the project who will make added value products. We're working with a group of farmers in the Portland, Maine food shed. Do you want to come and be part of that project? You'll have access to three different kitchens. So I was like, okay, (laughs) you know, get in the car and drive up to Portland, Maine, meet this group of people. And that project ended up being the launch of Matriarch. We ended up working in Fork Food Lab, which is an incubator kitchen uh, in Portland, Maine. They gave us basically free run of the facility for a year. We worked with seven uh, farmers in the Portland Maine food shed, collecting their surplus and making different products out of it. In three months, we made three different frozen purees that we sold at their first public market. And I think like around Thanksgiving or something. So over basically two and a half months, we went from not having a co-packing facility to having three products that we were selling. And as importantly, an incredible ecosystem of people working on on on-farm food loss, measurement, and That was the beginning of us starting to design what we are now fully in the process of of looking for funding for, a nimble processing facility that it can address the very issues that we encountered when we first launched this business, which is that there is no mid-scale processing available in the United States, not in Maine, not in New York, you know, not in California. So I hope that answered part of your question. It certainly did. And I think one of the key takeaways for me is is that no matter how great your idea, you have to look at the broader system as well to see whether it can support you. And the fact that there are not mid-sized production facilities in the food space in the U.S. is a much bigger challenge, I think, than quite often people think it is going to be. But I think you made a separate choice as well on who to sell to. Can you talk a little bit more about your original choice to go for a specific channel 
and how did that work out for you? Yeah, thank you for that question because it is we we made a very unusual choice I think for a startup food business and that was to focus on food service as our primary channel when we first launched. And there were a couple of reasons for that. You know, one, having worked in public housing and having seen the terrible quality of the food that's coming through federal meals and also the fact that a lot of kids are you know eating in cafeterias and the quality of that food is terrible but also because the whole consumer packaged goods industry is very slow and i'm very impatient now again i was quite naive when i went into that <laughs> thinking that okay well food service is big you know, items are bought in pallets, not in units. On a given day, you know, a meal is cooked for 3,000 to 5,000 to, if you're in a college or university, 50,000 people a day, you know, prisons, food banks, hospitals. And it just seemed like if our main goal was to divert wasted food from landfill, feed large numbers of people healthy food, and create more revenue streams for farmers, we should go for the big sales and the big impact. Little packaged goods just didn't seem to do it. You know, it was like the, the idea of that just made me feel like I was going to end up selling things door to door and I was never going to just even scratch the surface. But when you're cooking something in 30,000 pound batches and putting it in 20, gallon bags or 40 gallon bag and box or you know 400 gallon drums then you're starting to talk about some real numbers also when you see farm surplus and it's fields and fields of things going to waste hundreds of thousands of pounds the idea of just like putting a little bit in a little box just isn't very satisfying so we did launch the company in food service to start and we just had a couple of really lucky, fortuitous things happen. We got invited to the Compass Group Stop Food Waste event at the Javits Center in the fall of 2019, which is right exactly when we had just made our first product. We launched that and we met you know, a couple of important people at Compass Group, Ed Brown from Restaurant Associates being one of them who like liked the product, understood the concept, were excited about it. And we immediately, you know, started making entrance into major food service companies just through this one event. We got picked up by uh, U.S. Foods and Cisco. And by the time we finished all the paperwork, in the beginning of March of 2020, we sold our first pallet of product. And we were like, wow, this is fast, let's go. You know, it was a $10,000 purchase order of 1,500 pounds of product. And it was just amazing. It was like, yes, we had the vision. Yes, this is exactly what we should be doing. Yes, we can do the volumes here, go. And then of course, as we all know, food service shut down globally. So that was insane. I, you know, I mean, going back to, you know, what, what our main point was, however, is still the main channel of the business. I mean, we've diversified and I can talk about some of those things uh, additionally. But, you know, but during COVID, you know, we ended up still, we did a huge project with Restaurant Associates 
Uh, they were doing food boxes for frontline workers. And, you know, we had developed this relationship with them. And they called us up and said, can you make a smaller carton of the product so we can use it in these food boxes? And that that one project kept us going uh, for much of that first year. Plus, we were still paying farmers for their surplus. We were getting food to people in need. And we were working with large food service. So despite the fact that the world was completely a different place, we were able to stay completely true to our value proposition. And we then, of course, you know, also deepened those relationships. We ended up being chosen to participate in the first Food Buy Accelerator for minority and women-owned businesses. And that allowed us to get set up with Food Buy, which is the largest group purchasing organization in the world for Compass Group. So even though, you know, food service can be slow and the opportunities take a long time to develop, you know, we were able to deepen these very important channels and pipelines for now, which, you know, is really only in the last, honestly, six months that food service has started to really kind of be um, vibrant again. Yeah, it's quite often we hear the most amazing success stories and how easy peasy it was. I don't think that's the whole story. So would you be willing and able to share some of the, the harder lessons, the failures you've been dealing with as well? Yeah, I mean, developing our supply chain has been incredibly complicated. You know, everyone we work with has to fill out a lot of paperwork. They have to commit to, you know, saying that otherwise this food would have gone to waste. They have to train the people on their factory floors to collect remnants and, you know, have all the compliance with that for it to be food safe and and to have traceability. And in the first couple of of rounds of, of product development, we ended up with some crazy stuff in the in the bags that you know that were coming to the factory floor that we had to shut everything down, restart, go back to the supplier and explain what needed to happen. It was not easy and it was in the middle of covid so you can imagine. But you know what saved all of that was just everyone's willingness to try. So it's very easy to think like, oh, it just happened this way and and everything went fine. It did not go fine at all the first few times. You know, it was a mess. I mean, we had one, you know, frozen bag of of onion remnants that broke and melted all over the floor and had to be cleaned up and like shut down. So when when you're dealing with a new thing, there are a million things that are going to go wrong. And I can tell you many more stories than that, but... You just have to get up off the floor and stop crying from those onions and start over again. Totally hear that. So talking about change makers and change leaders, I would assume that when you started, it was you and maybe one other partner. And I think over time, your organization has grown a little bit. I think it's at least more than just you. Yes. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about ultimately from how you grow your team when you're such a purpose-driven organization. What do you look for when you build out your team? Yeah, I mean, passion and the relentless ability to solve problems. Those are two things that I think are incredibly important and what I look for 
when I'm hiring or in partnership with anyone, really. Um, saying yes, a desire to figure it out no matter what. And that can be figuring out something carefully and methodically, you know, not just like anywhere throwing things at a wall, but a kind of competitive desire to solve. And when I first, <laughs> when I first started this business, one of my sons sent me a link to watch the documentary called Free Solo, which I don't know if you've seen, but it's basically like this guy who's insane, who climbs El Capitan with no ropes, right? But what's amazing about that is how he looks at this mountain and he's looking at that mountain for the places where he can stick part of his finger or his toe to be able to get to the next level. And that is absolutely exactly what trying to solve big problems is about. Because really anything can be solved. You have to find that crack. You have to find that little toehold. And that can be a person, that can be a machine, that can be, you know, a business partner. There's always some way to figure something out. You know, that's what I look for when I'm, when I'm hiring things, when I want to have fun <laughs> and also just, you know, w what this business and, and really every job I've ever had has kind of been about like finding those toeholds really. Heard loud and clear. And I love your competitive nature that is coming through as well. So I'm wondering about the following. You are, I think, insanely competitive <laughs> and you're fighting a big system. And the system is really, really sticky. It makes it really, really hard to make progress at the pace you would like it to make. So how do you ultimately balance and sustain yourself because you want to move forward today? And the system says, well, let's think about it. So where do you find your balance? Well, there are two ways. I mean, there's the balance in the business and then there's the balance in my personal life. And I would say in the business, how I find balance in the business is that, you know, we're diversifying some of the things that we're doing. So food service may be incredibly slow. We were encouraged to uh, launch a retail product. I was incredibly hesitant to do that because, you know, it's another slog. It's marketing. It's, you know, all the things we know about CPG and all the reasons we didn't go into it in the first place. But I was like, okay, toe in the water, we'll develop a product that's got a high impact, you know, we'll still be on the high impact trail, but I want it to be a product that everyone can use every day. I don't want it to be a snack. I want it to be like just a really simple, straightforward thing. So, you know, as you know, we, we released three skews of tomato sauces And I was like, okay, Northeast launch, careful, we'll just be strategically restrained. And then we got picked up by Whole Foods in the first hour of Expo East, and now we're in 50 stores. You know, I'm not saying that to brag about that launch, but what's been so interesting is how quick the response is. You know, the public wants climate-friendly food. And so, you know, by putting our toe in the water of something different, we actually widened our reach. And so staying 
experimental and being willing to remain experimental is actually very rejuvenating. I mean, experiments fail too. It could have failed and nothing, you know, and then it would have been like, okay, well, that was interesting, but whatever. But there was a lot of energy and creativity in experimenting. And so I guess the point that I'm making is that one of the things that keeps me in balance is continue to experiment because it's interesting and it's creative. And I would say in my personal life, you know, it's the things that I love. It's spending time with my kids and my grandkids and my mom who's still alive. I don't cook anymore. I don't, you know, my husband does all the cooking. I'm very happy for him to be creative in that way. But, you know, recently my two oldest sons helped me buy uh, some new ski equipment And they taught me how to go skinning, which is, you know, going up the mountain. You're basically climbing on your skis and then you shift something in the binding and you ski down. So it's this incredible combination of rigorous climbing and then the thrill of, you know, just going down the mountain like at night with the moon and the stars. So I have a lot of richness, personal richness in my life. Uh, with my family and and they all just think this is the greatest thing that you know I've ever done so it's nice to be <laughs> it's nice to get the pat on the back from them when everything and you know when everything in work isn't going quite exactly the way I want it to be going <laughs> so that is awesome and based on all your experiences Anna if I would be a youngster and I want to make an impact and I want to get something done to help reduce loss and waste in food systems. What advice would you have for me? Be brave. I think it's so easy to be cautious and worry about the future. And I'm not saying that, you know, without like deep respect for different economic backgrounds, you know, being brave sometimes is about having the economic freedom to be brave. But I've encountered so many young people who didn't grow up with wealth, who are so brave, who are taking care of their families, you know, who have like incredible vision for the future. And most recently, last week, actually, I was at South by Southwest and I worked with a bunch of young people, you know, who started the Queer Brown Vegan, Sustain the Mag, and... They put together a team of young people to fill free fridges in Austin. So there are fridges all around Austin that they get donations, you know, from different people. And and then they fill them every week and people can come and just get food for free. You know, they were looking for sponsors and Matriarch donated some product to that. But they also, you know, it wasn't just donate the product. It was come and fill the fridges with us. So I spent Sunday with about 30, definitely way younger than I am, all under 30, um, incredibly smart, motivated, fun, caring, hopeful people. And, you know, they're all working in a space that, you know, social media space that I am definitely like way too old to understand all the details of, but it's there. It's really interesting. I I think it's so interesting as a way of engaging people. But what struck me so much about this group was just how positive and how brave they all are. 
that they're spending their extra time doing good things for people because it's the right thing to do. And they're speaking out about equality in the space. And they're trying to find ways to interrupt a system that has, you know, it's really heretofore been dominated by money and power. And they're doing it. They're making cracks. They're getting a lot of attention. And they're creating a new way of thinking about working that is all the things we want the world to be. So being brave, being willing to, you know, just try something because it's worth a shot and why not? And then, yeah, I guess being, you know, just being open and then finding people who are not just like-minded or, or the same age you are, you know? And we talked a lot about sort of like intergenerational energy, uh, which was really exciting. So I think that's, that's really the biggest one. You can do anything and you don't have to do it forever. Try it. Got it. And uh, we can talk for hours about all the amazing stuff you're involved with. Where can listeners find Matriarch Foods and how can they support your mission? You can go to Whole Foods in the Northeast and shortly another 47 stores. Uh, hopefully we'll be launching in Northern and Southern California in the fall. And we are about to be online with Amazon. So you can get our products there or with Misfits and Imperfect. Uh, those are the online. And then also, and this is another you know, interesting thing, and I hope your, your listeners will reach out. We are in April launching a healthy meal in a shelf-stable carton for food banks and emergency food. And it is a vegetable bean stew. So legumes, which are great for the environment. Much of the vegetables are, are being sourced from New York State farmers. So it will be creating more revenue for New York State farmers. It has 18 grams of protein, 12 grams of fiber, 30% of daily value of iron. And it's a wonderful, delicious, healthy product for people facing food insecurity or you know, fires in California or wherever. So we'll be selling that also. And we'd love to, you know, love to work with anyone who's interested. All righty. With that, Anna, thank you so much for your time today. Incredibly impressed with what you're doing and good luck with what is ahead of you. Thanks. Always a pleasure to talk with you, Michael. If you would like to learn more about Matriarch Foods, including where you can find their upcycled sauces and broth, be sure to check out the show notes from today's episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode. If you liked what you heard, like and subscribe to our podcast at foodlaptop.com or wherever you listen to your podcast. And as we close, I invite you to pursue your own bold vision and inspiring actions towards a better food system for us all. See you next time.